0: hope you're well and welcome for the second episode of Tea Room Talks. Following on from our episode last week we really are looking into the people who are changing lives and offering their service to others. This week we talk to Jacqueline who is a psychotherapist and counsellor and we look into the topics of getting professional help, what professional therapy involves and perhaps knocking back a few of those misconceptions that it has within the industry. Let's take a listen to the chat that I had with Jacqueline. So I'm joined with Jacqueline Claydon, business owner, psychotherapist and counsellor. Jacqueline, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: No problem, thanks for having me.
0: So in regards to your own experiences with personal mental health, whether that be good or poor, um, do you have any past experience of instances of that that you wish to share?
1: In in terms of mental health, I've fortunately, I've never been formally diagnosed with any of the um, mental illnesses. I have been through things in life that have caused me maybe mental problems, I suppose you might label it as. The big thing in my life was I actually lost my mum when I was a teenager. My my mum passed away and brought out anxieties, symptoms of depression over the years, but it's never got to a point where I've had a diagnosis with it and I think it's been a, an, working through things that life throws at me and dealing with that ongoing bereavement I'd say has been my main mental health hurdle.
0: Losing a parent there I mean I can't imagine you know the the feelings and the, the sort of struggles you've had growing up certainly um, for a lot of people in that scenario you know there must be so many emotions at play that the average person will not experience unless they've lost a parent that you've had to cope and deal with over the years that I'm sure you agree you know you've had various perhaps mental blocks or days where it's just difficult where you've had mm. that loss before you should have had that loss
1: yeah and I, I think as well it's there's a, there's a saying when when gets used quite a lot in psychotherapy training of this idea of a wounded healer and the argument is or this, this suggestion is that A lot of therapists, if not all therapists, have got to that place of doing that for their career because they've been somewhere themselves, part of that journey. And it's very possible that that was kind of my story to it, looking for the answers for how I felt, trying to understand what I was going through at different stages. You know, like I said, I was in my late teens at the time, I'm in my 40s now. So there's been lots of different points on that journey where... It's almost been revisiting that bereavement, if that makes sense.
0: Yes, certainly. And I think as well, maybe you've got that inner strength and that inner desire to almost give something back to almost the service that you wish and the service Mm. of support that you wish was there for yourself when you were younger. And certainly this is how I feel. You know, I've struggled in the past and I'm you know I I get the feeling much like why I created this is, is to help those that will need it because I know there's a lot of people who don't have the confidence or the inner courage to to seek that help and in your case it certainly sounds like you've you've switched that and felt like maybe that's the path that you were destined to be on because maybe you know with your struggles we we've we've got through it but I want to give something back now. And, and and it sounds very much like that's possibly the way you, you were headed.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's probably correct. Yeah. As, as well as my own journey of development, being able to give back to people and use my experiences to help others.
0: Being a, you know, a psychotherapist and a counsellor, you're going to have your own experiences that you're going to want to share, but also you're going to be able to, I find for clientele, you're going to be able to be more relatable. You're going to understand Mm -hmm. people's point of view if it is bereavement and loss. But if there is other things that where we've experienced, like most people have, uh, loss of a family member, there might be certain behaviours that come from that that you will understand that the inner thought processes have maybe been pushed on from that initial grief that wasn't maybe dealt with and you will see maybe the thought process there because you've you've had that experience and I think that Mm -hmm. is almost it shows that is what you want you want to offer your help for yeah what's happened to you
1: yeah absolutely and I think when you've got clients and you're working with clients being able to understand the emotions that they're feeling and the behaviors they're engaging in is really helpful and beneficial within that therapeutic process for them for it to feel landed and for it to feel validated
0: I think with your own experience as well you're going to have less judgment certainly Um, not that there is much judgment I'm sure in the industry however where Mm. someone might explain to you that they're having various thoughts or perhaps um, doing various things out of habit or the way they feel you will know that because of what happened to yourself feeling like that might be very common where another person might might not understand you know if i was to say share my experiences with a friend who had never struggled with mental health and i'd say you know i'm finding that i'm i'm sleeping a lot more or i find that i am distracting myself they might not understand however someone who has struggled might be like it's totally normal like i find when i you know i'm in a bad place and I'm very stressed I sleep a lot because my mind mm. is tired or they might be like yeah I, I'm, I'm bad for it. I know I'm struggling because I'm out of the house you know 12 hours a day because when I come back that's when the, the thoughts start and you do find that you you find you're probably more relatable and you you can understand that and you you probably have a well-rounded view of that
1: do you know it's it's interesting because even though on paper my story is centered around bereavement you know not all my clients come with bereavement issues And even though the narrative is so different to what I've experienced, the feelings and their Experience of whatever it is they're going through. There's so often an overlap, even though, like I say, the narrative behind it is so different that you can see what they're going through as something you've experienced that similar feeling. Or, and it, you know, when we talk about bereavement, bereavement's not just about losing a person, is it? Bereavement's loss of anything. And with any loss comes sadness, anxieties, loneliness, overwhelming, etc
0: yeah and you, with bereavement is where i'm sure you can get many behaviors that come from that you can get addictive lifestyles that mm. can be come from a bereavement certainly a lot of people bury themselves in drugs or alcohol mm-hmm. um and a lot of addictions can spawn from that and and like you say from that it, it might not even be a loss of a person it can be grief of something in their life mm-hmm. it could be a financial situation it can be uh, a job change um you know it it's what, a divorce, I'm sure, is a very yeah. common one that um, people would deal with and, you know, certainly something that's going to be very common. And um, going towards your profession, you know, the types of mental illnesses that you would say you've experienced or dealt with in your uh, profession that are reasonably common, what would you say are quite common and, and their symptoms that come with them?
1: So I'd say that the two main common ones are anxiety and depression. I'd say for me... In my experience, anxiety is probably the top one. But of course, with anxiety, you've got different types of anxiety. You've got generalised anxieties or you've got social anxieties. You've got panic anxieties within that. In terms of the people that I see, I'd say I've got quite a mix of people that have got, again, a formal diagnosis and are on medication. But also a good 50% of them will come because they recognise the symptoms of anxiety or depression, they might not necessarily have gone to get a diagnosis, they just recognise that how they're feeling isn't how they want to feel and that something's not right for them. But in terms of, you know, anxiety, depression symptoms are probably the main ones that I've worked with. Other disorders might require a different type of therapist to myself in terms of the skills and specialisms that required for that what often i find in, in terms of the clients that come to me is that there'll have been an event maybe or there'll be a relationship breakdown or there'll be particular pressures at work that they'll be able to identify that kind of external factor if you will but inevitably in 90 odd percent of the time it boils down and it gets down to a sense of self and how they view themselves in terms of how they value themselves so it might be it's often something relational that's brought them to therapy but we always get to the point of well how do you view yourself what's your self worth you know often people feel that they're not good enough For whatever it is they've come to work through so again like whether it's a work thing or a relationship thing what am I doing wrong what's not good enough about me why don't people like me and then we get into well how do you actually feel about yourself
0: the popular ones there anxiety and depression they are quite prominent and obviously spoken about so Mm. Where we spoke about symptoms there, I'm sure, you know, there are the very common symptoms. I'm, I'm sure, you know, fatigue, uh, whether that be physical or mental, I'm sure you're going to get yeah. tiredness, um, natural behavior, symptoms of distractions, addictions. But I'm sure you get, you know, the basic panic attacks of sweating uncommonly. You can get heart palpitations, mm-hmm. um, general low feeling mood obviously with depression and some people won't realise that some symptoms are linked to anxiety and depressions that aren't necessarily common to spot you know and I'm sure as a as a counsellor you must see various symptoms or people might worry about various things and you almost sort of have to tell them that well that's because you're suffering with anxiety or you're suffering with depression you must get some side effects that people almost didn't think would be
1: Attributed to that, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's a a really big mind-body connection, and you know, people, particularly with anxiety, will describe the physical symptoms that come with that anxiety, the nausea, like you said, the palpitations. They might be sitting in the, the chair talking to me, and I don't know, the hand won't stop banging on the other side of the the chair. That kind of just restlessness that comes with it, headaches quite often are linked with a physical side of mental symptoms. Depression, yeah, very much tends to be the fatigue, a loss of interest. So one thing with depression is the sadness that this thing, I don't know, it might have been they were a keen golfer, but now they're just not interested in it, they don't want to go playing golf anymore, or a loss of interest in connecting with people turning down invitations to go and socialize
0: that's right and certainly i think couples pick up on that because naturally you get a lot of loss of attraction or um affection for each other or naturally mm. very common and it adds another stress because then people are very quick to view themselves as there's something wrong with me or there's something wrong with the relationship
1: yeah, yeah. quite often it does come down to that well what what is wrong with me what do i need to do to change? Or why do I always attract this certain type of person? Why am I taken advantage of by my friends and my colleagues? Am I weak? Am I easy to take advantage of?
0: It's hard because people have really got to open themselves up there and and really let themselves be laid bare to dissect their own feelings and their own emotions and going in for that for people getting help. You know, do you feel that with your profession and improving mental well-being do you feel that it's often you know misunderstood in regards to getting help or do you feel that there is a stigma or perhaps misconceived ideas of you know common themes that you'd you'd almost like to dismiss
1: do you know that there is a few things in there I'd say there's still it's fantastic It's talks about so much more than it used to be and I think that's great. But there is still stigmas attached to going, seeking support for mental wellbeing. be that going to a GP, looking for biological, medicinal supports or coming to therapy. And, you know, in particular, one thing I've noticed and obviously don't want to take the conversation down a gender route specifically per se, because that's just one avenue of it. But men are still massively underrepresented in the therapy room. You know, the statistics tell us that women are significantly more likely to receive diagnosis for depressions and anxieties. Uh, Women are more likely to go and get medication or going more likely to come and see therapists. It's looking at, well, is that because men don't get depression and anxiety? Is it because they don't go and seek that support, which then doesn't include them in the statistics, which is why it looks so skewed towards females? And what I find, I'd say about 20 percent of my clients are male that's my experience and don't get me wrong what I'm about to say can be applicable to female clients as well and it's not applicable to all male clients but male clients tend to come because they've been heavily persuaded by somebody else to come and get that support not all and like I said it does still it happens with women as well but that noticing from somebody else of you need to go and get help Or going back to what we were just talking about relationships, a partner might say, look, if if you don't go and get help for yourself, we might need to have a conversation about us because this isn't working for me anymore. Women tend to come in earlier on in noticing that they're suffering symptoms of mental distress, I would say. You know, it's, it's that stigma of, for me, it seems far more apparent in males, the sign of weakness. It's not what men do. Men don't talk.
0: This is why I wanted to almost represent the male because, you know, it's it wasn't certainly easy for me trying to improve my mental well-being. And it certainly wasn't easy for people around me who are males because I do feel like there's almost a lack of that self, um, not belief in it, but almost you've got to believe in the getting better part to get better. Mm. You can't dismiss it otherwise it's not going to benefit you at all and in regards to that obviously an even more generalized industry coming from construction the views on it is still so misunderstood and still so such a like tick box exercise to not really offer that support it's more if you're struggling that's okay but it's all very well and good but what support is available because that's what we often find within construction that it's very well saying that you can't come into work or you might need to tell your employer but often there might not be things in place for the employer or for the employee mm. to actually get support or have assistance for that and and naturally people will want to work and earn their money so they will put things like that on hold and certainly with construction where there is such a prominent challenge you know i think it's it's something crazy like 700 deaths a year are suicides um, within the construction industry, which is two a day as an average. However, Mm. I think men within construction, men are three times more likely than other men in other industries to have mental illnesses and commit suicide within construction. And I think, Mm. you know, there's certainly other industries that do struggle. It just shows, like you say, that and in construction is one of our top industries as a country. And it just shows how much of a sector it is crying out for that support, you know. And I'm sure as someone, like you say, you've got 20% of your um, clientele are men. It almost feels like it, there, there's so much to be done.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's about, and it's interesting because the men that that come to see me, once they've got on, you know, they're on the journey, if you will, and that they're invested in it, they'll say oh, I was telling my friends that I'm in therapy and the other day they said oh yeah I've been for therapy as well so once those conversations get going it is it the, the taboo can fade away with that can't it and realizing that they're not the the only ones that are needing that help and that are accessing it and that it's okay to do so but it's I think as well you said earlier about you know going for therapy being vulnerable you've you know, when you talked about misconceptions, you know, one thing therapy isn't is a magic wand. And for therapy, so I'm an integrative psychotherapist. So my kind of work is emotionally focused. It will be, you know, looking into what's gone on, what you know, what relationships have influenced the way you feel at the moment, past and or present. What's going on for you with it? How does it make you feel? And for a lot of people, male and female, that's really tough to do because we are socialised, aren't we, to be, are you OK? Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. And we don't talk about the inner depths of our feelings. We quite often don't even allow ourselves to feel the inner depths of our feelings because we've got to zip up, get out to work, like you say, and crack on. And I think from a therapy perspective, what can be difficult for some people that come to therapy is, well, I'm not fixed after five sessions. It's not working. And it quite often isn't like that because a lot of people that come for therapy are coming because they've suffered, whether they realize it or not all the way through, but they've suffered for years. They've put barriers up for years. They've put guards up for years. And we're not gonna get those down And removed in four to five sessions, it it can be quite a long term investment, depending on the reason that you come in.
0: That's right. And if this was a physical problem, you know, I I quite think of certainly bad backs. You know, they're quite common and they're ailments that unfortunately a lot of people deal with. And you can't go to a physiotherapist and have some adjustments and a massage and be fixed in one session. It's usually hand in hand. It's having an expert advise you with your muscular skeletal frame, how to exercise various pressure points, how to um, improve that muscle barrier. But also the key thing is you've got to do it yourself as well. There's exercises yeah. too. So with you know the mental side of it, it's not going to be you in a room diagnosing their problems and going through that and they're going to come out one day and be like, she's got it, she's done it. They've got to put in some of that work themselves and I think that's that's the difficulty here because a lot of people can feel like, of, naturally, you know, very close off, these are subjects that are, is close to home and subjects that perhaps feel embarrassed about or sad about. Mm. But much like anything, when you are ill, unfortunately, and I certainly believe this, there really is a process of, being worse before you get better and sometimes with mental illness and I've experienced it with panic attacks or depression there's almost a day when I, I you know I always remember that day where it contextually felt just like one big vomit of horrible feelings but it just gradually improved and got better and there was a way out you know and I just feel like people who perhaps would get therapy often want to not dismiss it, but you do meet people who almost get not, again, it's hard, not a kick out of it, but some people do love saying like, no, it don't work, load of rubbish. And it's almost like you want to dismiss that and ignore that because like you say, it's a long-term health benefit. And that is the point of it.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, quite often People will they'll want the solution and there are solution based therapies out there, but it depends what you're going to therapy for, which one's the appropriate one for you. If you're working through um, years of not feeling good enough, years of turbulent relationships with family members or a traumatic event that happened six years ago that you've never talked about, That's going to take time, that's going to feel real. And a really important thing with therapy is finding a therapist that you feel safe with, doing your homework, almost interviewing multiple before you decide who you're going to go with because if you don't feel safe with that person, if you don't feel that you can lay yourself bare in front of that person, you're never going to do it and the work's not going to get done
0: no I totally agree and it's a really really good point you've mentioned I've had a guest previously who mentioned that therapy didn't work for him because he felt within his first session they were asking about his sex life and how that had been affected right. and he just felt like I'm not ready for this sort of conversation with you I don't know mm-hmm. you and he he hadn't even built up that sort of relationship naturally with them to discuss these feelings so I think that's a really good point you've mentioned that some people won't think of to actually vet who they want to speak to and who they yeah. feel comfortable with because that is such an important thing and and not every therapist is going to be the same
1: but it's 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 human to human contact isn't it it's got to fit and it's nothing personally if, if you talk to me and go I know she's not the one for me that's fine I'm just not the one for you in that moment it's more important that you find that that person that you can go through that journey with and it is it's just about you know a big part of therapy is that relationship that you have with that person in many cases the therapist is there to provide the secure base whilst you do that work that's going to be really fragile it's going to be it's going to need that kind of safe unpacking and and holding while you're working through it
0: that's right and I, you know I'm certainly thinking that there are misconceived ideas that people get that on the first session when they are with you you're going to be there with a clipboard with multiple <laughs> tick boxes judging them writing down what the problem is what they're like and I'm sure you'd love to dismiss that that is a two way option it's for them and it's for you and it's not just for you to to almost categorize them at all and it's not a, a judgmental place. But often people can worry that what is shared is something that um won't apply to you and as if you're gonna compromise that and like I say judge them for that.
1: It's it's really so, you know, for myself I don't take on new clients without having a reasonable phone call with them first. I'll never book somebody in just over an email conversation because I need to get a feel for that person as well. Is that something that I feel that I can comfortably and competently work with? Because the last thing I want to do is any harm to them. And it gives them the chance to ask me questions about how I work and what to expect.
0: No, totally right. And so, you know, branching to the mental health side of things and, you know, finding poor mental health, in regards to what advice you'd give for friends, family and, and sort of colleagues here that would work with people who are perhaps suffering, there are, you know, naturally, sometimes as we all say it's very easy to hide mental health and that's the Mm -hmm. difficulty with it but there are sometimes behavior habits and signs that suggest someone is struggling and would you say there are quite common themes that you can notice that perhaps someone can maybe then keep a watchful eye on someone because of that?
1: Yeah I think when we're coming to define I, I don't want to say mental illness as such because we're not talking about diagnosing people that's obviously got to be left to the medical professionals but When we're looking to define that somebody's behaviour may be as a little more abnormal, shall we say, it it's really useful when people around can make those observations that know them because quite often the person that's in it doesn't notice straight away that there might be what appear to be quite subtle changes to their behaviour. So you know, I gave the example before with depression, losing interest, suddenly finding a reason not to engage in things that they're used to all the time. Maybe once or twice, you're like, oh, right, this is not feeling great at the moment. But if you're if that's a family member or a loved one and you're noticing that starting to happen more and more, then that's maybe a time to have a conversation of well, you know, what's going on. You used to really enjoy doing this. But it might also be there's a theory that I talk about with my clients quite often. It's a really useful one. It's a really simple one. It's called the window of tolerance. Don't know if you've heard of it. And it's this idea that when we work within our window of tolerance we are grounded we can make rational decisions we can connect we can relate to people Uh, we feel safe we kind of you know things can come our way and we can cope with them but above the window of tolerance is a state called hyperarousal and below the window of tolerance is a state called hypoarousal and when we fall into one of those two states, that's when we see our behavioural changes. So somebody who has a small window of tolerance, but a, a large hyper area, if you will, will respond with that regular fight-or-flight response. They'll be on alert, they'll be on edge, they'll be more irritable, and they might be more angry. And anger's a really useful emotion to watch out for because anger's usually protecting us from feeling other things like Depression, sadness, fear, and so on. So, if somebody's getting quite, for want of better words, wound up very easily, and that's not usually like them, then there might be something going on there that we want to check in with them about. Whereas if they've gone more into a hypoarousal state, it's linked to the sympathetic branch and the parasympathetic branch of the nervous system. So, it comes back to that mind body working together. In the hypo-arousal, they're going to be more in that freeze. So they're going to be withdrawn. They're going to kind of switch off. They're not going to engage with us as much. It's going to be kind of a retreating inwards. And we sometimes maybe notice that more for mental health. But actually, hypo-arousal is just as important because it's telling us something else as well. And so it's noticing whether or not the people around you how they're responding to things and if that's normal behavior for them or whether it seems unreasonable or irrational behavior what we might normally expect that might tell us something it doesn't work for everybody it's not applicable to all circumstances but quite often when i talk about it with clients they'll go oh yes yeah, so i've spent quite a lot of my time recently in that hyperarousal stage i've been getting Irritated over the slightest things, and I don't know why. And I said about anger as well. Again, kind of going back to the male-female differences. Again, not all men and not applicable, and it's sometimes applicable to women. Anger is an emotion that can be on the surface. People can be angry at everything, everyone. They might notice the temper is a bit more difficult, to, or is quite difficult to control. And when we get underneath anger, quite often there's a range of other emotions there as well. There's fear. There's feeling overwhelmed. There's sadness. Anger can be about projecting out, maybe feeling that something unjust has happened. With that, so again, it's 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 looking beneath the behaviour that's being presented to us and thinking there's something else going on there, and think about how to support with that and again and you know we've talked about the workplace i think they reckon something like 50% of days off work is actually attributed to mental health and so you know, you're starting to see there that somebody's life is being massively affected by what they're experiencing mentally they're feeling that kind of it's too much can't cope with that. Putting, you know, noticing things there as well. For that, you know, somebody's having quite a bit of time off work. Well, why is that? What, what's actually going on for you?
0: Yeah, I'm, you know, thank you so much for sharing. I mean, that was really interesting to learn. You know, to to see that point of view because I can certainly relate to that because there are certain times where where I've struggled in the past. Naturally, you will be quite introvert and. I'll feel like I can put on a mask and pretend I'm okay Mm. and be quite sort of subdued and I won't do the usual things, but I will on the surface be happy as, uh, as it might look. However, I wouldn't do my usual hobbies or interests, so I'm subdued and I'd go away. But then there are times when it's almost like, no, it's just out and out irritability and incredibly indecisive or angry. Mm. So I find that so interesting that there is that, you, you've you almost narrowed it down to that process of where is their behaviour at now? Like, how has it been? And yeah, I, honestly, I was really interesting to know that. And would you say that certainly with, you know, the types of therapy that are required or the therapy sessions that you have, that you notice certain almost common themes that there are within these sessions like you know things that we've got like relationships society social media would you say there are certain things that seem to crop up more regularly than others
1: do you know interestingly not so much social media although that might be an age thing with my clients because it Prior to doing this, I I taught A-levels. So I was working with 16 to 18-year-olds. So social media was a big theme there and the pressures that come with that. With with my clients, probably because of the ages, work actually can bring a lot of stress, a lot of workplace stress. Overwhelmed with the job. Again, that, that theme, I'm not good enough my work's not good enough, I, there are people out there that can do it better than me. The juggling demands of life, to be honest with you as well, as juggling work, bills, households, kids can come through. What's interesting, and I think this is a little bit like we were saying before, people will come and their initial few sessions it will be based on feedback from other people. So, you know, if, if they've not been praised at work or there's been an argument in the household and it's their, their value, if you will, will be based upon other people's interpretations of themselves and how they performed or how they behaved. But what happens is, is going back to this idea of it being an investment of time, it can take several sessions to get to this point of self-awareness. You know, that tolerance, that window of tolerance grows bigger the greater our self-awareness, the more we kind of know ourselves. And it's when you get to those layers where those messages that may well have come from other people, more often than not, they have. You know, we are relational beings. We, we learn about ourselves by the way we interact with other people and how they interact back with us. It's how deeply that message can be internalised. And it might be that nobody ever intended to make you not feel valuable they've just not understood that their interactions with us have had that impact and it can get really quite complicated if you will in this web of who's contributed what to how somebody feels about you know this 50 year old sat in the chair we can end up talking about childhood they didn't come talking about childhood but they'll suddenly go oh actually when I was about 10 years old this happened and it's, it's all weaving into that tapestry of who we are and, and kind of understanding that and who we've become. And the other thing, as well, I just wanted to say, because I was very conscious that when we were talking before about what people can notice, and you talked about that you would put a mask on and you'd be happy to what everybody else saw. I think it's really important to just bear in mind there that if we miss the cues that people are struggling, it might be because they're making damn sure we don't find out
0: that's right and sometimes certainly in the past for myself you can feel embarrassed if you feel like you've got something to show so it's easier to hide it and certainly a lot Mm. of people will hide that very easily and I've often used the phrase that I felt in the past well or even now you know I can be an extremely convincing actor I can convince others around me that it's all fine and dandy but until I turn around and say I'm not all right it will be unapparent because it's almost like I fine-tuned myself to easily put away these signs, symptoms because I don't need to but for people who know me will notice that you know and yeah it, that's what is very interesting about the workplace because often that is when it's hidden but there are some examples of people who might be struggling at home that it comes all out in the workplace naturally um mm. so in regards to you know getting help and advice for those who are perhaps unsure you know where to turn and how best to get advice what would your advice and the steps to be in regards to you know therapy gps personal improvement, what steps would you take for someone who, for example, is suffering right now with anxiety or feel that they are depressed? What what sort of stages would you advise to go through?
1: If you're thinking that the way you're feeling is is looking like or sounding like anything that would come with an actual diagnosis, then your GP would be your first port of call. What often, you know, if somebody is put on medication quite often they're encouraged to go and seek out talking therapy at the same time, because what the medication would do is, is help settle those behaviors. And again, with medication, it's about not being frightened of it. Your GP will know all the different options. You know, there's not just one antidepressant out there. There's, there's hundreds. It's finding what works for you. And it might be that you don't need them, but it's having that conversation And then looking for your talking therapy. With with talking therapy, it is a minefield. It is so daunting because it's who do I choose? What kind of therapist do I need? You know, so I said I'm an integrative psychotherapist, but then you've got therapists that specialize in CBT, those that specialize in EMDR, coaching, which is, is not therapy per se, but it's a branch of the same tree. And thinking what do I actually need that help for who's going to be my best fit so that's when it becomes a case of just sit down go on the internet look at the different options now for example most therapists will exist on one or a few directories that are out there so I'm a member of the BACP which is the British Association of Psychotherapists and Counselors I'm registered with them so I appear on their directory But I can also, well, I do also appear on, so there's a a directory called Counseling Directory, Psychology Today. There's the UKCP, which is another um, membership body that therapists can be a member of and go on their directory. And it can be, you're looking at it and it's just scroll, 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 hundreds of photographs and little bios. So it's taking your time to just go with the ones that initially you got, oh, that person... I like what they've said. Let's be truthful. I like the look of them and reaching out to them. And you might not know exactly what's going to get uncovered in those therapy sessions, but you'll know roughly why you go going, why you want to go, and what you want to achieve. So if you can give them that information in the initial contact, then they might be best in a better position to say, "Actually, I don't work very well with that, but I can signpost you to a colleague who who has got a lot of experience in that area." So. For example, if somebody came to me with OCD, I would signpost them to a CBT therapist because that's not my specialism. But sometimes you don't know that until you get several sessions down the line. So the more you can give, the better, really. And make contact with them. You know, Like I said, most therapists that I know of will offer a free telephone call or even a free 20-minute meeting Let's see if we actually work together. If there's a connection there between us, thinking about things like cost. So you know, we said this is an investment from a time perspective. There are options for three, for free therapy, but it usually comes with a waiting list, and it's you know you making that decision. Do I wait for it for free, or do I fund it myself and go to see somebody straight away? The other thing with the free therapy, and I'm not say anything negative about it because it's fantastic that it's there you're quite often restricted to so many sessions so it's being mindful is what I need to talk about something that's only going to take six to eight sessions or actually is this going to end up being a six month commitment in which case I need to go somewhere where I've got the options to carry it out for that six months or however long it might be thinking about how you want to access the therapy as well because it's you know, do you want face to face? Do you want to actually go and sit in somebody's room and talk to them, or is it easier or does it feel safer for you to do it online? Is that easier to fit into your day? And it's looking, you know, in terms of qualifications, there's a wide range of psychotherapy qualifications out there at different levels. I have to say, I've never once been asked what my qualification is. It's not something that people seem particularly interested in. They're more interested in the, can we talk? can we get on but what I would say is I mentioned the BACP and is the UKCP to maybe check that they're registered with one or two of those bodies just in case you felt you needed to raise something somewhere that you were a bit unhappy with
0: I think that's going to help people who are you know wondering almost what what the correct path would be and 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 finding that right person because naturally it's not going to be an easy process but you know having these things in place that can help you source and find these people that are there and and like you say if you're ever unsure Mm -hmm. where to turn you just know that there are things in place and therapists locally but they might not suit you and and naturally Mm -hmm. that's why as I'm sure you've said you know these places and directories exist to try and find the best option for you so details of those um, links uh, will be available in my episode description I will put them in there um, for for people to use which will be obviously really beneficial and, and hopefully with anyone listening who is you know almost seeking that help or that extra courage um you know hopefully what we've discussed within this episode will be beneficial to them and and hopefully that will encourage them to to take that step um so you know finally I'd I'd like to say you know thank you so much for your time and and, and appearing with me today and chatting about these subjects because you know they're so interesting and I, I do feel like it's good to to finally have someone within that field who can shed some light on what it's like to work in that industry so you know thank you again for for coming here today
1: you're welcome thank you
0: really insightful chat there to look into the profession of someone who is responsible to assess and monitor mental well-being within a person interesting to learn the techniques and topics that arise during the process almost of therapy And I hope it's something that perhaps can bring a light to others and show that maybe it isn't as daunting getting help as you might first think. It might seem embarrassing or humiliating, but I can guarantee for those around who care about you, they won't view it in that way. And it takes a lot of strength to get help. As always, the links for our episode are available in the episode description. Thanks for joining me once again for another week and I look forward to our interviews next week.